Lord, we thank you for this morning so far and the thoughts and things that drew our mind to you and our hope. And we know in our hearts that there is no other way. And as you continue to work in our lives using Eric, we just pray that you would uh, bring that which each of us need this morning and bring things to our mind and clarify things and be a lamp to our feet. We thank you for this privilege and opportunity to sit here with your saints. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I don't have a clock that's functioning back there, so you might be out early or you might be out late. Probably not late. I've had a few volunteers to stand up and wave their arms when I'm getting close. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1560, the year 1560, in the uh, the district of Zealand, I think it's a district or the township or county of Zealand, somewhere in Holland is where this is, there was a young man named Joost Joosten. There's not a lot of them around anymore, I don't think. Joost Joosten. When he was 14 years old, he was singing as part of the choir in the church. It was a Catholic church in Holland. And it happened that Prince Philip of Spain was there at the church and heard him singing and was so impressed, he wanted to take him back home to Spain with him. And Justin did not want to go back with him, so he hid himself for six weeks while the king hunted for him, looked for him, And somehow during those six weeks, he became converted. He became a Christian and he was born again into an Anabaptist church, which was not okay with the Catholic church at that time. So they arrested him when he was 18 years old. So the same age as some of you, he was arrested. Um, And he was... A commendable young man. They uh, sat him down and they tried to convince him many times to recant his Anabaptist views. Um, they had many dissertations with him, it says. So I'm guessing that's where they bring in the, the learned men and try to convince him where he was wrong. But he was able to stand up to that. When they saw they were making no headway at all, they decided to torture him. Tortured him dreadfully, it says, especially with an instrument called an iron tierlingen. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but what it is is a screw. They would set him down on a chair and they would take a screw and they'd go in at his knee and it would come out again at his ankle. And they were torturing him with this, trying to get him to go back on his faith. And... They, again, were not making any headway, so they condemned him to death to be burned. On the way to the hut made out of straw where he was going to be burned, he was singing a song that he wrote, 
And the last verse begins like this. It says, O Lord, thou art forever in my thoughts. Remember, he's 18 years old. He also had written a confession of faith, which people would like to see. It was a five-page confession of faith. But throughout the course of time, it's been lost, so nobody knows where it is or exactly what it was. But that's how he died. He died for his faith, for Jesus. Now let's look at 1 Peter 4. I have quite a few different passages this morning that I'd like you to turn to. But we'll begin here in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit to the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. I am not speaking this morning about persecution, physical persecution. Um, but remember who's writing this here. This is Peter who is writing this. And how many of you, you don't need to raise your hand, but think about it. How many of you think this way? If I am going to be tortured for my faith, it talks about fiery trials, being a reproach for the name of Christ, would be glad for that. Would be, would, it, you'd be honored to be able to be counted worthy to suffer for Christ. How many of you think that way? You know you should because it says here to do that. But this is Peter warning us as Christians. He says, don't be surprised if you're going to suffer for the name of Christ. Verse 14 says, if we suffer reproach or ridicule, it's because or because of being a Christian, we are blessed or happy. Verse 16 reminds us, if we suffer, suffer, the Amplified says, if we're ill-treated in any way, don't be ashamed, but give glory to God that we are counted worthy to suffer for Christ. So Peter's convinced in his heart and he's trying to convince every one of you that suffering and glory go together. But this was not always Peter's point of view. Turn with me to Matthew 16. And we would look at this point of view that he has here in the book in first Peter as being a very noble, godly way of thinking, and we would aspire to that. And Peter had reached that point, but he didn't always think that way. Matthew sixteen verses twenty through twenty five. 
Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. You see the different way he's thinking here? But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. I'll stop reading there. Do you see the difference in Peter's attitude? Here he is the the protector and the avenger. And Jesus is saying all these things. He's going into more detail than he ever has up to this point of what is going to happen to him, what his purpose is here on earth. And Peter steps up like we think good for Peter. He steps up and he says, no, that's not going to happen to you. And then Jesus says, you're being a stumbling block to me, Peter. This is my purpose. This is the purpose that I have been sent to earth. And it's a, this is a far cry from Peter's perspective in First Peter where he says, when you suffer for Christ, glorify God that you are worthy to do that. Do you see the difference in what he's, his mindset? The difference is that he's been emptied in First Peter when he wrote that he's been emptied of himself, emptied of that deep-seated nature that we all have, that we all can relate to, And he's filled himself with the thinking of God. He's learned to deny himself. He's learned to take up his cross. And he's learned to follow Jesus. Again, I'm not going to be looking at physical suffering or physical persecution this morning. But I would like to look at what I think is the backbone of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a disciple of Christ. Physical suffering, persecution may be a reality for some of us sometime. I don't know. But I think there's something more subtle that we need to be reminded of. And there's three phrases in this passage that I alluded to already that I like to look at. And they're all requirements of being a follower of Jesus. Look at verse 24. Then said Jesus unto disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Those are the three things that I believe are the backbone of being a Christian. Are you willing to deny yourself? Do you know how to do that? Are you willing to take up your cross and do you know how to do that? Are you willing to follow Jesus? Do you know how to do that? Jesus used this phrase, this exact, or a phrase very similar to this, three times throughout the Gospels. I didn't know that. I thought it was one time. But in three different instances, Jesus used this phrase, deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. So it's important to him. I'd like to briefly look at those three accounts, and then I'd like to look at each of the phrases. So the first account we find, it's in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. 
Matthew 10:37 says, "He that loveth the f- loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me." What do you think of that? If you love your mother and father more than Jesus, you're not worthy of him. If you love your children, if you love family, you're not worthy of Jesus. Is that really what he means? And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. In this account, Jesus is teaching that everything that is near to your heart needs to have second place. So as I... As I go through here, just ask yourself, is that where you are at? Is that where... Don't ask if that's where I'm at, because I already know where I'm at. Ask where you're at. Is that where you are at? Does everything that is near to you take second place? The second account is the only time the phrase is mentioned in all three Gospels. We've already looked at Matthew, so let's see what Mark has to say. Turn to Mark Chapter 8, verse 34. Again, Jesus had just described in more detail than ever before the suffering that he would need to go through in order to fulfill his purpose here on earth. And we begin reading with Peter's response to this, Mark 8. We'll start at verse 32. Mark 8, 32. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with the disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever saves his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. I also find it interesting in these three accounts where he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Two two of those three times, the verse immediately following it says, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel shall save it. And the third account where Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me is found only in the book of Mark. Again, uh, turn probably two pages to Mark chapter 10. And this is the third account where Jesus mentions this. Mark 10 verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and said and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, Sell whatever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. 
I'll stop reading there. The phrase, deny yourself, where it contains all three of those, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, isn't found in all three of those instances, but it's inferred. It always talks about taking up the cross and following Jesus. As I looked at this account of this man who came running to Jesus, he came running, so he had an earnest desire, he wanted to know, and I'm asking myself so many questions as I looked at this. Do I, do I come, probably not literally running to Jesus, but am I that anxious to hear what he has for me? If he would have known what Jesus had for him, would he have been that anxious to come to him? And Jesus touched the one thing in his life. He said, one thing you're lacking. You're doing great, but one thing you're lacking. He said, are you willing to give up all your material things. Take up your cross and follow me. Adam Clark describes the common thread between these three accounts well. He says, if we want to follow Jesus, we need to renounce self-dependence and selfish pursuits. Self-dependence and selfish pursuits. We need to take up the cross and we need to follow him. So what exactly does that mean? I keep going back to this Justin. To me, that's a beautiful example of someone who denied himself, almost literally took up the cross, and he was following Jesus. None of you, none of us, have ever come close to anything like that. Physically having to deny ourselves that greatly. To almost, to literally take up our cross... So what, what does it mean for us today? How do we apply it to where we are? I think there's a lot more than just be prepared. If that, would, if that would happen to you, be ready. It's a lot more than that. It's so much more than simply denying myself physical things. So let's look at denying self. Plainly put, denying self is saying no to myself and saying yes to God. And Jesus is not here. Here he's not talking about asceticism where you go live on a pole for a year or something or you walk across hot coals or lay on a bed of nails. That's not what he's saying. That is denying self, but that, there's no point. That's not what he's saying. To deny myself is to humbly submit myself and my will to God. And as I, wrote, as I was writing that, I thought that sounds nice. To humbly submit myself and my will to God. We could sit here for about five minutes and you think about that, what that actually means. To humbly submit myself and my will to God. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was given every opportunity to defend himself. He was, you put in whatever word you want, he was treated wrongly, he was misunderstood, he was lied about, he was physically treated terribly. He could have defended himself on every single one of those accounts. And I, I marvel at his response or lack of response to Pilate and to the people spitting on his face and slapping him. What would you have done? 
that deep-seated nature inside of me would want to rise up and say, do you know who I am? You say I did this, but what about this that you do? That's not denying self. Or think again of, and I just picked Juice Juiced, and there are thousands of other people throughout history that have suffered for the name of Christ, that have denied themselves. They have chosen rather to suffer, to have an eternal perspective, than to try to defend themselves. So we've never suffered physically, but you have had the right, not the right, you've had the opportunity to defend yourself. If someone says something wrong about you, they criticize you, you've had the opportunity to set the record straight. Did you take that opportunity or do you deny yourself? Our human nature and our tendency is to rise up when we have been wronged. Peter points out the example. Jesus left us in Second Peter 2. It says, Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That is the definition of denying yourself. I'll read that verse again and think about it, how it applies to denying yourself. Jesus, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. We have been, or when I have been treated unfairly, when you've been treated unfairly, when you've been misunderstood, or when I've been misunderstood too often, or many times my initial response, and this is to my shame, I guess it's confession again, My response is to rise up and defend myself. Getting even. Or, or I might even commit myself to never ever put myself in a situation where I'm going to get hurt like that again. But that's not what Jesus calls us to. When you follow Jesus, you might need to put yourself in a situation where you might get hurt. You might be misunderstood. It might mean being criticized again. It's your response to that that is where denying yourself comes in. As a disciple of Jesus, we need to live wisely. Not to just go and put ourselves in a position where we might get hurt or so we can exercise self-denial. Jesus calls us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. It's been said we are called to a manly combination of unflinching zeal and calm discretion. I like that. A manly combination of unflinching zeal and calm discretion. To deny myself is to put off anything that keeps us from obeying the will of God. We're to deny ourselves and closely related to that he says take up your cross. What does that mean? 
to take up your cross, I've heard it said that I have a bad back, that's the cross I need to bear. Or I've been sick these last three weeks, that's the cross I need to bear. That is not even close to what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about some burden like a physical problem or a physical illness or a a thankless job that you're doing. That's not what taking up your cross means. We, society, and I think sometimes even, even we, look at the cross as a quaint, lovely symbol of atonement and joy and forgiveness. And that's part of it. That's part of what the cross is. But when Jesus said this, to take up your cross, that's not at all what he meant. He knew what he was going to face with that cross. There was nothing lovely about it. Bearing your cross, he meant you're going to be carrying your instrument of execution while being ridiculed for who you are. And he's, he's asking you to come and do that. He's saying, come, deny yourself, and take up this cross, this instrument of execution, and carry it while you're being ridiculed for who you are. That's what I'm asking of you. Be willing to do that. This cross may not mean a physical death for you, but it is a dying to self. And that's what Peter learned. We see his response in Matthew. And then we see all, I don't know the length of time that passed, but he learned what taking up the cross means. Hebrews 12 says, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. And I like the choice of words there, despising the shame. The shame that goes along with that cross he was bearing says he despised it. I don't think he means he hated it, but it means he, it didn't mean anything to him. He willingly embraced it. The shame that went along with bearing the cross. Turn with me to Matthew 27. Many, many Christians today, I believe, put too much focus or too much attention on this shame associated with carrying the cross of Christ. And because of that, do everything they can to blend into society or not to stand out as somebody who's carrying that cross. Matthew 27, verse 30. 30 through 32. Matthew 27, 30. And they spit on him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him to bear the cross. Stop reading there. So I want you to imagine something with me this morning. You are in Jerusalem, and this center aisle is the road. Jesus is coming down this road. He's been beaten to a pulp, and he's carrying this heavy cross. You're on each side of the road. There's crowd, crowds of people. You are part of that crowd. And you're watching Jesus and these soldiers and I believe the, the thieves that were crucified with him were coming right along with him. So he's coming down the road and there are people in this crowd, this frenzied mob of people that are caught up in whatever mob spirit this is and they're screaming, let's get rid of him. Crucify him. There's probably people that are standing there just open mouthed, not 
believing what they're seeing. They had kind of kept up with what all Jesus had been doing through his ministry. And now here he is and this is the end. They can't believe it. And then there's probably people in that crowd that were close to Jesus, that knew him, that had talked to him, maybe eaten a meal with him. Maybe they'd been healed by him. Maybe they had a family member healed by him. And they also, they can't believe it. They're, they're crying. It says there were people that were crying. They couldn't believe it. You are one of those people. Which one is it? And then all of a sudden, this Roman soldier reaches out and he points at you and he says, you, get out here and carry this cross. Because Jesus had stumbled over and over. He'd fallen under the weight of the cross. His physical strength was gone. The, the soldiers were getting impatient. And a Roman soldier points directly at you. And he says, you, get out here and carry this cross. And they grab you and they pull you out and you pick up the cross. Now what are you thinking? This is what happened. Simon of Cyrene was pulled out of the crowd to carry the cross of Jesus. What would you be thinking if you were him? You now find yourself carrying this bloody, rough, dirty cross down down the street with these mobs of people and they're still screaming crucify him what are you thinking would you be making sure people knew it's not yours this isn't mine would you be concerned that people think possibly you did this voluntarily that you pitied Jesus and went out and picked it up for him would people think would you care if people thought maybe you were a friend of Jesus You are now identified with Jesus as carrying his cross. And people will see you carrying that cross and they're going to go home and they're going to talk to their friends and they're going to say, do you know who that was that was carrying that? And you're going to be identified. You will be associated as the one who carried Jesus' cross for the rest of your life. This was a big enough deal. They had crucifixions more than just this one. But this was a big enough deal that you will be known as the man who carried Jesus' cross. Are you okay with that? So you know where I'm going with this. Do you avoid things today that identify you as someone who carries the cross of Jesus? Or who carries a cross? Do you avoid things that identify you as that person? Did you ever think about it? That Jesus could not carry his cross all the way to Calvary. Jesus, the man, the son of man, the the human part of Jesus could not do it. Physically, he couldn't do it. He stumbled and he fell and he had to have somebody help him. And there are going to be times if you say, yes, I am willing to be associated with Jesus, I'm going to carry this cross. There are going to be times when that decision will crush you. And it'll take you so low, it'll discourage you, it'll, 
you may feel that shame of being a Christian, having to stand up in an awkward situation and say, this is who I am. And I'm not ashamed of it. And it might crush you. Again, I go back to this example of Justin. I don't think there's any way humanly possible on his own. It says he joyfully went to this straw hut where they burned him after he had his knees and legs mutilated like they were that he could go singing joyfully to his death. He had someone helping him carry his cross. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Jesus will help you carry that cross. It's a promise that if we choose to deny ourselves and to take up the cross, we'll have the sustaining power of God available for us. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and now thirdly is follow me. Jesus is saying, imitate me or do as I do. Dean Taylor says, can you be a follower of Jesus without following him? an interesting thought. Many people claim to be a follower of Jesus. Are they following him? Are you following him? Everyone, every single person here, every one of you follows something. Every person alive follows something and you can only follow one thing at a time. If we're going to follow Jesus, he demands and he asks for undivided loyalty. We can't mostly follow Jesus or follow him most of the time. What did Jesus mean when he said follow him? Look at these three, quickly going back and looking at these three examples at the beginning that, I, that we looked at. The three instances where Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. The first one he said, those things nearest and dearest to your heart. And he uses the example of family. If, if they don't take second place, you're not, you, you're not following me. And then he says to Peter, where Peter says, no, you're not going to suffer, Jesus. That's not who you are. If you try to bypass God's plan, you're not worthy to follow Jesus. And then he met the man who came running to him and said, what, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, unless you're willing to lay down everything, You're not worthy of following me. Many of Jesus' followers in this day had their own ideas of what they thought it meant to follow Jesus or what he was going to do and it helped them follow Jesus. They thought he was going to set up a kingdom, an earthly kingdom, freedom from Roman rule, maybe reestablish Israel to the glory of the days of Solomon. But when they found out that was not Jesus' purpose, he had another kingdom in mind. Many people lost interest and were not willing to lay down their own hopes and dreams. A closing thought here for you. 
you have asked yourself questions this morning about how well you're doing at denying yourself, taking up the cross and following Jesus. Those three things. And if I would have asked you, or if I would ask you now, I think many of us would say, Maybe not as, you maybe now don't think you're as good as you would have been when, when I started, but overall, we're doing fairly well. We've been taught, we're doing okay at this. We could always do better. What if it was you asking somebody to follow you, take up their cross, deny themselves and follow you, and they were being as thorough about it as you are with God, would you be pleased? Would you be satisfied? I'd like to encourage you this morning to keep on. Deny those things in your life that are interfering with you fully surrendering to God. Deny those things in your life that are interfering with you being able to deny yourself. I'd like to encourage you to be willing to take up that cross. Be willing to identify 100% with Jesus. This is who I am. I'm not going to cut corners. This is what Jesus asks of me and I'm going to do it. And I'd like to encourage you to follow. And all that that means to follow Jesus. Follow his example. Not only claim to be a follower of Jesus, but to also follow him. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you that you are here with us. pray that you will be with each one who's here this morning. I pray that you will give us strength and the discipline and the heart to deny ourselves, help us to despise the shame of taking up that cross and give us clear vision to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.